Thank you, worship team. I Surrender Some, one of my favorite songs ever. Powerful words you just heard from y'all. I Surrender All. We could just be done this morning if that were something that we were able to continue to do, right? I Surrender All. Great song. Thanks for leading us in that, guys. Um, This morning you found yourself in... um, Part three of a four-part series we're doing at Grace Point Church called Deeply Rooted. This series is jumping off one of our core values that we hold here at GPC, and we state our core value this way. We say that at the beginning, middle, and end of the day, God is in charge, and what he wants... Good. Thank you for paying attention. For who... And what he wants what? Goes. Excellent. What he wants goes. Good. And then we ask a follow-up question to that, and that is this question. How much authority am I willing to give God and his word in my life? Now, here's what we know about this um, reality of commitment for us, right? And I've talked about this from the beginning, that for commitment, okay, with being committed to something, whatever it is, whether it's a commitment to a sports team, a hobby, or a marriage, or money, whatever it is, whatever you're committed to, it ebbs and flows in different seasons of life, right? You're more or less interested in your favorite team when they win compared to when they lose. You're more or less interested in your marriage when things are going better than when things are going worse, right? I mean, you're more or less interested in your job you know, at different times of life. So the question is not so much, have I made a commitment that this is true about me and that I can just walk away from, but rather my question is not, have you ever done that in your life, but rather this question of the right now. So the question is, how am I responding right now to God and his word? Where is this level of commitment right now in this season of life that you find yourself in, okay? So what we've done is we've reflected on a a parable, basically, that Jesus has told to people who have been walking with him for a while, and then to a group of followers, and they're trying to figure out what he means. And it's a parable of the, the soil and the, the seed falling on different parts of the, the, the soil. And we covered in, in uh, week one the fact that there's this farmer that goes out to sow, and he plants the seed, and the seed falls along the path. Excellent, good. The path. The, the seed falls along the path, and the path is hard. And what happens to the seed? The birds, right, come and take it away because the path is hard. In other words, the seed or the truth of God falls on a hardened heart and, and the devil takes away the truth of God. Because we know this, if you give in to temptation one time, it's easier to do it a second time, right? If you decide to do this one time, your heart gets hard and it's easier to do it a second time. And this is the parable of the seed on the hard path, is that if you say, yes, I'll do that, or mm, I know I'm compromising my integrity, mm, it's easier to compromise integrity a second time and a third time and on and on. This is the path. The second soil is the, the soil that is rocky. We talked about that last week, how the seed gets planted in rocky soil, and people at first respond like, man, this is awesome. God is so good. I mean, it's incredible. He's, he's great and all, the, uh, all that I ever wanted. And then because there's no root, when hard times come, just kind of fade away. It's too hard. I thought God was good, but now something bad happened, so, you know, I'm done. Okay? So this week we're on a third soil, and this third soil is one that um, is, is very, uh, very interesting uh, and very, I think, um, quite powerful in its implications. So I want to set it up this way. It was maybe... Uh, maybe a month or so ago that um, we went down to the beach again. Um, for some reason unknown to general mankind, we took our family to a beach and thereby experienced sand in the toes and 
sand in everything and in everything and everywhere. I love the beach in Barbados, um, but I don't necessarily love the beach in, uh, on the, the eastern coast of our country, okay? It's just not really my deal, but we go and, and we kind of have a good time. Well, here's the deal. If you've ever been to the beach or know people who go to the beach, pretty simple situation, right? You go to the beach, and especially, especially, especially if you have young kids, here's what happens. Everyone's ramped up and ready to go to the beach. I mean, you, you get there, you lay your stuff out on the beach, and um, the kids are just are waiting to go into the water. If you're grown up further, then for whatever reason, you go to the beach to stay out of the water to get sun, because sun is evidently not present anywhere else but at the beach, right? We think we all know that is true, okay? And then we put sunscreen on, right, to keep the sun away from off of us while we sit out in the sun to get the sun we don't want to get that's also available at home. But I digress. So we go to the beach, right, and the kids, the little ones, are ready to go into the water. Now, here's what we know. If you're, the little, little ones are just into the little, little ankle, ankle deep water, they're not going to do any harm. But, but kids are starting to get a little more comfortable with the waves kind of coming in. You know you have to, as a parent, um, remind them, listen, listen, listen. When you go in, there's a current. You can't see it, but you're going to start to be pulled this way, right? Now, when you go in there, and here's what we told them when we were in the beach uh, a month ago. I said, look, look, right behind us, there's an orange, orange hotel, about three stories right here. You can see that from anywhere. When you are in the water, where's your point of reference? Orange hotel. Okay, so just know when you get in the water and you play, you have a good time, you're playing, and you end up down there, I want you to look and say, oh, we got to remember the orange hotel as a point of reference. Because we know when you get in the water, there's just always a current and it pulls you one way or the other. Yeah, just the way it is. And you have to tell little people because they don't see it, they don't know it. As adults, we tend to know that because hmm, we're used to it. And here's the thing for this morning. This is exactly the same situation we find ourselves in related to a topic and an issue that we step into every day and that we deal with every day. We step into what we're going to talk about every day of our lives. And when we step into this, there is a current, there is a tie, there is a movement that is always going to want to pull us away from center. That's always going to want to pull us away from an orange hotel point of reference. And this morning, what I want you to to understand is that if we get pulled to the side on this issue, and this is what this is so important, if we get pulled to the side on this issue, your life, and I'm not I'm not really exaggerating here, I, I do sometimes, but now I'm not. Your life, your life will be a waste, okay? Your life will be a waste. If you get pulled off to the side on this issue, your life and your interest in investing your life that makes any difference at all for God and his kingdom, that makes any difference at all in terms of legacy for children or grandchildren, that makes any difference at all in your work at all, if you get pulled by the tide of this thing one way or the other, your life will be a waste, okay? my life will be a waste. And so we want to plan, if you will, as we get into the water of this, which we do every day, we want to see this morning, what is our point of reference on this issue? What is that orange hotel, if you will, that we have to see when we walk into this thing that we walk into every day? So without further ado, let's see what that is. Let's get into your Bible. If you have your Bible with you, turn over to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 13. 
If you don't have a Bible with you, that's not a problem. There is one in the pew around you, near you, somewhere there. And it is the first book in what we call the New Testament. The Bible is divided into two sections, Old Testament and New Testament. Um, Just kind of the way it is. And uh, Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. The right third of your Bible is where you'll find that. Um, And the 13th chapter of that book is where we're going to be. It goes Matthew, Mark, and then Luke, and then John. Um, By the way, if you don't own a Bible and you're using one of our pew Bibles, that is our gift to you today if you would like it to take that with you, okay? Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to just begin at verse 1 to read over this parable again to provide some context. I'm reading from the New International Version. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Okay, they're at the beach, I guess. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. And some some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. We already covered that week one and week two. Now, verse 7. Other seed fell among thorns. This is where we are today which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, 160 or 30 times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. To which the disciples now say, man, Jesus, thank you for saying that. We have no idea what you mean. This is the first time that Jesus begins to speak in parables. And he speaks in parables both to confuse people who weren't really ready to listen and also to drive home a point in a very memorable way for people who are ready to listen. So the disciples need him to clarify this because they have not yet heard him speak like this. So they kind of get back at backstage, you know, they take him back into the house and like, hey, Jesus, really cool thing out there with the farmer and all that, but what in the world were you saying? I have no idea what this meant. To which he goes on to tell you, okay, guys, let me, let me just tell you, here's what it means, okay? And he explains it. And the seed that we're looking at, the soil we're looking at in verse 7 is explained by Jesus in verse 22. We don't have to guess what this means. He explains it. He just lays it out. Here's what I meant by that whole thorn thing. Okay, verse 22. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of what? Wealth. Choke it, making it what? Making it unfruitful. The thorns... The ones who received this fell among the thorns, hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. Now, I said at the beginning that everybody, everybody, every soil, okay, whether it's a hard-hearted person, someone who is just happy but shallow in their faith, and now someone who is kind of strung out by the, the worries of this life, everybody shares one thing in common, and it, there's one word that shows up in each one, and it is the word hear. Okay? Everybody hears the word. And I said during week one, that's a Greek word, akuo. We get our English word acoustics from it, meaning that I just hear sound waves pinging through my brain that come in through my ears. I don't know how it works, but I hear the acoustics. And this is, again, the same thing. Everybody hears the word. So just the fact that you're sitting here listening this morning or you're listening online later, the fact that you're hearing words, great, that's good for you. But listen, everybody, everybody hears Okay, we don't get special credit because we heard something, ever. Now we want to know, do we do something with what we hear? And so these people hear, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, 
making the seed unfruitful. So, check it out. Two things, deceit, the worries of this life and deceitfulness of wealth. The worries of this life, what are those things? Pretty simple, right? The worries of this life, you know what they are. In fact, if I could tell you this right now, if, if I could offer to you, let's just make it big, this might be hard for you to imagine. If I could offer to you $100,000 this morning when you walk out of here, what's your reaction? Like, what bank did he rob last night? First, okay, yeah. <laughs> something like that. Listen, if, if, if there is a stress relief that comes off of you at the thought of that, if you can allow yourself to enter into that, what if I could receive $100,000 or let's just up it if you want to, a million dollars, okay, why not? Since I'm giving away money I don't even have, I'm going to say I give you a million dollars. What happens to you? There, if you're allowed to enter that, there's kind of this relief and this lightness that comes, man, I could, and, and start listening, I could, I could pay for college. Like, I could pay the house off. I mean, I, I could finish the cabin payments. I mean, I, I could get the car, and I could fix the car. Like, I don't even have to buy. I could buy a car I don't have to fix, you know? Like, I could, I could and I could get the new, the new, and I could buy that, and I would have enough jeans for every day of the week for the rest of my life, and I wouldn't have to keep buying that. I mean, I could, I could, I could. You start kind of like, and I could, even some really good things, right? I could pay the medical bills that I can't pay right now, right? And I wouldn't have to go to work, or she wouldn't have to go to work, and he wouldn't have to work that hard, and I could, and I couldn't. The things that I worry about right now all of a sudden kind of come wow off the table so the worries of this life are the things that that you and I know exist that we realize and this is so important we realize are out of our control the worries of this life are the things that we see that hit us that are out of our control right that's why we worry because I don't know how it's going to end I don't know how I'm going to pay for school. I don't know how I'm going to ever afford a house. I don't know how I'm ever going to get that car. I don't know how I'm ever going to get out of debt. I don't know how I'm ever going to deal with the financial crisis I'm in. I don't know how I'm ever going to deal with the medical problems that we have. I mean, I don't know how I'm going to. And so I realize there's something in my life that's out of control. And so then what do I do? You and I do the same thing. We grasp for the nearest thing that we can control. And that is, I'm going to make more money. I'm going to figure out a way to solve the problem. I'm going to figure out a way to make more money because I believe this about money, that I, if I have more money, if I have more things, I can control outcomes more, right? If I had a million dollars, I could pay for school. I could buy the house. I could, I could, I could. If I only had more, the things that are out of control would all of a sudden be under control. And Jesus links these two together and he says, the worries of this life and your initial assumption that if only I had more, I could solve the worries of this life is, and what, is, what word does he use to describe wealth? In the text there, what does he say? The what of wealth? Deceitfulness of wealth. Isn't that an interesting word? The deceitfulness of wealth. In other translations, it's called the seduction of wealth. It's the seductive power of wealth. It, it holds itself out there for you saying, come on, just make a little bit more of me. And the worries that you have will be waylaid, will be calmed down. And here's what we know about wealth. And this morning, I want you to know there's so much to say in the Bible about wealth. In fact, many of you know this. Jesus talks more about money than any other single topic in the New Testament. It's amazing to think about that, isn't it? So here's, here's what we see, and I'm going to throw a, a variety of verses at you, but here's one thing that we see. 
related to the deceitfulness of wealth. In Proverbs, do not wear yourself out to get what? Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Why? Why, why, why? Cast but a glance at riches and they are what? Gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Okay? So wealth, it holds itself out there as a solid answer to the worries of this life. But here's, here's uh, the, the wisdom of Solomon. Don't wear yourself out to get rich because have you ever had that experience, man, at the end of the month? Where did the money go? Like, did anybody work this month? I mean, what happened to the paycheck? Where did the money go? I mean, seriously? Uh, it sprouts wings and flies off. Like, whew, it's gone. Where did it go? What happened to it all? We continue seeing the same thing in Ecclesiastes 5. Whoever loves money, read this next phrase with me, never has enough. Let's do it again. Whoever loves money, what? Never has enough. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. And amazing. In other words, money doesn't solve money's problems. And here's what we know. Check this out. Here's how this works, and you've seen this. Let's just say that you were to, to win the lottery, okay? And, and we'll go back to my million-dollar example, if you will. But let's say, I know you've got to play to win. Of course, you, you don't play. You wouldn't tell me you play. But anyway, let's just say you won the lottery. You didn't play, okay? Now you won not only a million dollars, but now you won $50 million, okay? Let's just say you did that. You, congratulations to you. Of course, you give some of it to whoever, and you, know, you, you kind of take care of some things right away, right? I mean, you, you win a million dollars, you win $50 million, and you're going to take care of the house payment, okay? You're going to maybe buy a house. Maybe you're going to buy your mom a house. Maybe you're going to buy the dog a nicer, nicer house, you know, for the dog. You're going to get the car and take care of the car payment, maybe college, maybe college for your kids or whatever. I mean, you've got money to burn, baby. I mean, you can go and do, kind of take care of the things you need to take care of, right? Wouldn't that feel good? And wouldn't that just initially, like, feel good? And and some of you are like, man, I just want to know if that's true or not. So give me the money and I'll figure that out. Like, I just wish I had 50 million. If I had 50 million, that would be so incredible. And instantly, there would be an instant kind of relief, wouldn't there? Wouldn't there be an instant relief, the pressure that you feel about, man, what's my future going to hold? I mean, you talk about a retirement plan, you could create a pretty, pretty, pretty retirement plan in a hurry, right? You could get rid of all that debt. I mean, just imagine what that would be like. But then you also know the stories of all the people who do win the lottery, right? And something happens to them, doesn't it? All of a sudden, the game changes. Like, it's not enough to keep up with you anymore because you're not in my ballpark. I've moved on to a bigger ballpark. Now I'm looking around, I'm seeing, you know, people like me who have $50 million, they buy yachts. And my yacht is not as big as, as your yacht. And my Porsche is not as big as your Porsche. And I, and I know that I just got, you know, seven sports cars in my garage, but, man, someone has 14. Isn't it true that just because we make more money doesn't mean we become more satisfied with the things that we have, right? Think back 5, 10, 20 years ago, 30, 40 years ago for some of you. If I were to tell you now, or then, excuse me, how much money you would be making now when you were 10, 20, 30 years younger, wouldn't you have felt like that would be pretty sweet? I would be so content just to be making 3% more, making 10% more. Wow. I think I could, really, I will make that someday? That would be so satisfying. And yet, here we are. 
You're making more now. Some of you now are making more than you ever have. And yet money never solves money's problems, does it? Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This is part of the problem of the thorns that come into our life. And here's the thing with with thorns. Jesus says the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth come in and they become like thorns. The thorns that are in view here, by the way, when I think of thorns, I think of little thorns that, that, uh, that my dog runs into in the woods when she gets out into the woods. These things that come out and prickers and all that. The Palestinian thorns are thorns on steroids. They are as tall as me. Six foot tall thorns, okay? Imagine that. Six foot tall thorns uh, with complex root systems. And what that means is it'll push out the plants. Any plant that is around that, it will push out. And so Jesus is speaking to a group of people who understand when he says the thorns, they're not thinking, oh, the little thorns that grow up on the side of the road. They're thinking these big thorns with this complex root system that push out the life of the plant here. And here's what that means. Jesus says in Luke 16, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and what? You cannot serve both God and what? Money. Isn't that an interesting statement? You cannot, do you believe that's true? You cannot serve both God and money. Now, come on, do you believe that's true? Do you cannot serve both God and money? I mean, I think if there's a major competitor for God, let's just say the devil. Okay, you cannot serve both God and the devil. That seems to be pretty clear, like black and white or white and black, good and evil, okay, you know, like hot and cold opposites, right? God and money, not really opposite, exactly. And yet Jesus says it, come on now, you can't serve both God and money. And this is a real problem. If this is true, if this is true, then we have to be very careful that when we step into the waters of how we handle the worries of our life with the resources that God has given us, that we don't get taken down current too quickly. Because if we do, The life of God will be choked out in you, and your life will be unfruitful and will be a waste. Will be a waste. No one can serve two masters. You're either going to serve God or money. Pretty convicting stuff. Jesus backs up, if you back up in this section of Scripture, two verses, and here's what he says. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? In other words, how we handle the financial resources we have is a prerequisite for whether we can handle spiritual wealth and rewards. This is part of the deal. This is just part of the deal. No one can serve two masters. Now, I want to talk about the so what on this real quickly. We need, to, we need to process this together. So what? Two objections that we need to address at least. Number one, am I saying that it is wrong to want to make money? Okay, is it wrong to want to make money? Is it wrong if you were to say, I want to make $100,000 a year doing something I enjoy? Is it wrong for you to want to make the promotion that will give you another level of pay at the job that you have? Is it wrong for you to get a second job 
to work more to help take care of your family? Is it wrong for a husband or a wife who currently is not working to get a job so they can help pay? Is it wrong to want to make more money? Here's what we see. 1 Timothy 5, 8. Jesus, uh, or Paul, excuse me, Paul says this. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has, what are the next three words? Has denied the faith. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So if you want to work to provide for your family, you are right in line with what God has for you. Okay, we also see this. In Proverbs 6, 11 and 12, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and what? Poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. So here's what that means, right? If you all of a sudden find yourself unemployed or you can't make ends meet, and you know this, it does not take long. When the income flow stops coming in, it does not take long for you to get in a pile of trouble quickly. It does not take long for the bills to pile up because the companies, you know it, they're after the bottom line. If you don't pay, you don't get whatever you're supposed to pay for. It's as simple as that. I mean, in a way, we don't care if it's heating oil, we don't care if it's electric, we don't care if it's rent. If you don't pay it, you don't get it. Okay? And if you're not working toward that, here's the deal, a little, a little sleep. A little slumber, a little folding of, I'm just so tired of trying to find a job. It just, I need to take a rest. I'm just going to take like a week off and not work, and hopefully things will work out. All right, okay, go for that. But know that scarcity and poverty will come on you like an armed man. Like all of a sudden, well, I had no idea I'm really that far behind, and I can't afford the things that other people can because I, why? Little rest, little, little, little pullback, okay? It is not wrong. This is why I'm going to come back to this question. Is it wrong? to want to make money. And I'm going to say, no, it is not wrong to want to make money. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying, mm, slow down and don't work hard. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here either. Okay? Second objection. Is it wrong to enjoy things that money can buy? Is it wrong to enjoy the things that money can buy? In other words, should you feel guilty for getting whatever, you fill in the blank, and there's a lot of low-hanging fruit on this, by the way, right? In other words, there's a lot of stuff that's easy to pick on. And mostly we pick on things that we don't buy, okay, that others do, right? So we pick on people who buy clothes all the time because we don't buy clothes all the time. We pick on people who get new cars because we don't care about new cars. We pick on people who get new technology because we don't care about technology. We pick on people who get upgrades to their houses. We don't do that, right? But it's harder to pick on it when it's kind of your own deal, right? There's a lot of low-hanging fruit, a lot of things here that's easy to pick on. Man, I can't believe that you got that and you got Why are they spending their money that way? What a waste. I can't, they shouldn't even enjoy it. Like, man, I can't, it's just, mm. I mean, people are starving in Africa, you know, and, and they're buying a whatever, right? There's a lot of low-hanging fruit on this thing, right? It's so easy to look around and say, I can't believe you and you and you and you did that and you drive that and you eat that and you wear that and you have that and you did that. And, is it wrong to enjoy the stuff? Or is it, is it somehow spiritually productive to feel guilty about enjoying anything? Right? I mean, we talk about being like ultra-conservative now. Like, is it, does God look at people who, have, who are trying to give away the things of their life and not have like anything that's fun and say, that is it. That is what God wants. He wants you not to have fun. Don't enjoy the life that you have. No, no, no. You like dessert, stop eating dessert. You like clothes that fit, stop wearing clothes that fit. I mean, seriously, 
Okay? Is it wrong to enjoy the things that money can buy? Go to Ecclesiastes 5 on this one. Solomon, pretty wise guy, said, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to what? Enjoy them. And the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil. This is a what? Gift from God. This is a gift from God. If all of a sudden you have things that you can enjoy, this is a gift from God. To enjoy them. Okay, so is it wrong to enjoy things that money can buy? And I think the simple answer to that is no. It is not wrong. It is not wrong to enjoy the things that money can buy. Okay? Now, that's not all we have to say because if you're thinking you also have some other objections. Wait, 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 wait. How much should I enjoy, right? How many should I get? How big should it be, okay? Okay, we're, we can't answer all that, but here's where we can keep going. We can learn from two rich guys. There are two stories that are told. One is an actual historical event. One is a parable. The actual historical event, a rich young ruler comes to Jesus. And some of you who know your Bible know what happens. This guy comes and he's really wealthy, very influential. He kind of walks up to Jesus and he says, hey, Jesus, I don't know if you know me. I'm the rich young ruler. I'm going to be in the Bible later. And I've got a lot of stuff, but I, I want you to know that I'm interested in knowing what I need to do to get eternal life. To which Jesus is like, okay, what do you need to do? Okay, since you asked the to-do question, I'm going to tell you what you need to do. You need to obey the commandments. Well, okay, that's a, that's a good call, Jesus. Well, which ones should I obey? To which Jesus says, well, you need to obey. Uh, you, you need to honor your father and mother. Okay, You need to, let's just say, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, And he lists about four or five others. To which the rich young ruler says, man, those are, those are high standards, God, but I, or Jesus, but I just want you to know I'm doing that. He literally says that. that he said, okay, I'm good on that. All that stuff about, you know, loving other people like myself, I do that. To which Jesus, knowing the reality that he doesn't do that, he pushes him farther because he knows what's in his heart. And he says, if you want to be perfect, if you want to be perfect, go home, sell your possessions, then come follow me. And the rich young ruler walks away sad, with sadness of heart, ultimately rejecting the message. Because you cannot serve both God and money. There's another story of a rich man. This is a parable. Jesus is telling this parable, and he says, hey, guys, listen up. There's a, there's a, a farmer, basically. Okay? He has an incredible crop, incredible year. In fact, he has such a good crop that he can't even store all the, the crop in his storehouses. So you know what he does? He looks around and he says, man, I am loaded. I'm set. I'm going to tear down my storehouses. I'm going to build new ones. That way, I can eat, drink, and be merry, and be set for years to come. And so, as he knocks down the storehouses and begins to build new ones, his life is taken from him that very night. And Jesus says to, to the listening audience, so it will be for all, so it will be for all, who are rich toward themselves, but are not rich toward God. So it will be for you, so it will be for me. For people who store up treasure on earth, like the rich young ruler, and people who store up treasure on earth, like the rich crop owner and farmer. So it will be for you when you store up treasure for yourself on earth. 
Is it wrong to enjoy your things? No. Is it wrong to work hard to make more money? No. Is it wrong to store up treasure on earth? Our life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions. We can learn a lesson from not only two rich guys, but one content guy. Paul, the Apostle Paul, he wrote in the New Testament, he said, I have learned, this is a pretty profound statement, I've learned, I've learned the secret of being content. How would you like that as a conversation starter over lunch? Hey, what's going on for you this week? Well, I learned the secret of being content. How about you? What's going on for you? I would listen to that. I would listen to that. Okay, what is your secret of being content? I've learned the secret of being content. Cool, what can we learn from you? And here's what he says. This passage is so powerful, it packs everything into one passage in 1 Timothy 6. Here's what it begins with. It says, Paul's writing, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so... Don't say it yet if you know it. Which is so... Now, how would you describe wealth? which is so, okay, don't put your hope in, in wealth, which is so, and, and I might fill in the word, which is so helpful, <laughs> which would be so nice, which is so much what I would like more of than what I have right now. And here's the word that he uses, which is so uncertain. Seriously? I mean, that's about the only certain thing I can think of. I mean, I'm $100 short, and if I have $100, I'm not short. Okay? I mean, how uncertain is that? Seriously. I mean, I, I need it. I don't have it. If I had it, I'd be good. Seriously? I mean, you're going to describe wealth as uncertain. And this is the starting point for us. This is a starting point. When you and I walk into the stuff of life, every day you're dealing with money decisions, whether you know it or not. Every day. Every day we step into this and the current is pulling us and the current says, come this way because money is certain. Of all the things that are uncertain in life, if you made more, you can control more of your life and the worries that you have will be turned down because you can buy them off. And that is exactly where the current takes you. And somehow Jesus steps in and says, listen, you can't serve. You cannot serve both God and money. And so Paul says, listen, you want to put your hope in wealth? Just a reminder, wealth is so uncertain. And he goes on to say this. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our, God provides us with everything for our work, for our toil, for our trouble, for our serious reflection, for our enjoyment. God provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Interesting. And he finishes this way. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may... Okay, here's the big conclusion. So that they may what? Command them to be rich in good deeds. Command them, and here's our deal, in this, uh, command them to uh, be rich in good deeds and generous and willing to share. In this way, they'll lay up not treasure in heaven, but tre or not treasure on earth, but treasure in heaven for a future as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may what? So that what? Why? Why, why, why? Why should I be rich in good deeds? So that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I command you to be rich in good deeds. 
Because no one can serve two masters. If you serve the uncertainty of wealth, you cannot serve the certainty of God. That you may take hold, come on now, and you want this, and you know you want this. You know that you want to take hold of the life that is truly life. Those worries and anxieties that kind of keep you up, you wish you had the answer to, and you don't have the answer to. Put your hope in God who provides us with everything for our enjoyment. We can take hold of the life that is truly life. What can we say? Of all these things, what can we say is my orange hotel, okay? What is my point of reference? As I walk into the waters of life where I'm going to step into the money stuff, I'm going to step into here's the worries and my initial answers, I'm just going to work more, get more, have more so that I can kind of buy off my problems. What's my point of reference? Because we need to get in the water, right? And when we get in the water of how we handle money, and, and no one can not handle money, it's just a reality for life, it's so important because at the end of your life, and here's what you know, no one can serve two masters at the end of your life, If you have not done some business on this issue, you will come to the end of your life and you're going to wonder, why have I not made an impact on my family? Why are my kids and why are my grandkids? Why is my spouse and why is my heart not even satisfied? I've gotten a lot of things, but Solomon says, hey, naked you come from your mother's room and naked you will return. You're not going to take anything with you. And so in the process of from birth to death, how you approach the resources you have is so important because if we are swept through the current toward this pursuit of the deceitfulness of wealth, the thorns will come up and choke the life of God, making it, and what's the word Jesus used? Making it unfruitful. Making the life a waste. So what's the orange hotel that we need to keep oriented on when we get into money stuff? Here's one shot at it, okay? When life's worries come, trust God, work hard, enjoy what comes, and be willing to give it all away. When life's worries come, trust God, work hard, enjoy what comes, and be willing to give it all away. When the stuff comes and my immediate answer is, I just need to work more. First, 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 trust God. Pray, pause, stop, believe that wealth is uncertain, but God provides everything for our enjoyment. Work hard. Scarcity will come on you like a bandit if you don't work. Enjoy what God gives you because he gives it to you for your pleasure. He's not a killjoy. And be willing to give it all away. If Jesus were to ask you, like the rich young ruler, you want to follow me? Let me get to your heart. Go, sell all your possessions and come follow me. Give it all away. And he walks away sad because he knows you cannot serve both God and money. And so the farmer goes out to sow and some seed falls among the thorns. And the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth grow up and choke it, making it unfruitful. Where right now is my commitment to my God and his word? We cannot serve two masters. We cannot serve both God and money. And unless you do some business with with God on this, my fear for us is that we will walk through life, come to the end of it, and realize, man, I have blown it. 
I've missed it. The life of God will become unfruitful. And you'll wonder, why? Why? And the answer will be, no man can serve two masters. Let's pray together, guys. Our good God and Heavenly Father, we, uh, we stand before you, we come before you, and we recognize how difficult, how difficult, how difficult this is to get into the things of life, our worries, our concerns, our fears, and not just step into money and not just step into the financial resources to solve our problems for us. It is so difficult to look at a very tangible problem like being short on rent or needing more money for a car payment or, or having a medical bill come that you cannot pay. It is so hard to look at that tangible piece of paper, that bill or that expense coming up and say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you for something so tangible. I'm going to lean into you for that. That is so difficult. And yet, Father, we know, we know that we cannot serve both God and money. And this current pulls us toward the deceitfulness, the seduction of believing that wealth is of all things certain. If only I could have more, my problems would be reduced. But we know that whoever loves money never has money enough. So I pray, Father, for us this morning. I pray for the high school students, for the junior high students, for the young adults, for the young families, young marrieds, middle age and past middle age, retired years. Every one of us has a different deal right now that we're looking at, either making money or using our money well. I pray that you would give us courage, Father, to ask that question again, where and how? Where and how am I trusting you instead of trusting the money that is coming before me? Give us courage to believe that you are enough for what we need, that you are enough for all of the things that come our way, that when the problems and the worries come, that you are trustworthy, that you are, as this song will say, you are more than enough for what I need. In Jesus' name, I pray.